Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And our goal is to get through as much of the rest of the chapter as, as you can. Um, if you have any questions or comments, make sure that you raise your hand. We have some mic runners that will try to get, uh, get to you. Um, I may not have an answer or a response to, to every question or comment that you have. Um, I might ask for clarification or might get a little pushback, but we're, we're in this together as we're trying to, to understand Paul's message to the Corinthian church and by extension message for us to, to uh, learn in all of this. So again, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Robert, if you wouldn't mind leading us in prayer. All right. We had a lot of good discussion in our last class. Uh, we see in chapter 5 some of Paul's mind frame, how he views himself, how he views his ministry, the renewal that, uh, that he gets uh, from God, and it's all tied in with Christ. The thing that has changed his worldview is the sacrifice uh, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, and so it changes how he views his body, this, this uh, earthly tent that deteriorates and that he has this hope um, uh, of a home, a habitation which is from heaven. How he, um, because of what Christ has done, he has confidence, he has courage, um, because whatever threats come his way, it's only against his, his uh, uh, temporary existence here. Um, we also saw in verse 9, another one of the, the challenge uh, questions or, or statements here in verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Sort of asking ourselves, if your friends and the people who know you best were asked, what is your aim? What would they say about you? What would they say was your aim and your ambition? Is it to be well-pleasing or is it to make a name for for myself or is it um, to have a a good career, or what, what, would, what would be said of us? What does that look like for us um, to make our aim to be pleasing to God in whatever situation we find ourselves in? We had a lot of good uh, comments in our last class, some uh, that will probably spill over into today's class. But if I could get a reader to go ahead and read chapter 5 again, for us. Would somebody be willing to read for us? Thank you, Tony. <clears throat> for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we grow, longing to put on our heavenly home. If indeed by the we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we grow, being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at the home of the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith. <coughs> Yes, we are good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive that which is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and the hope is known also to your conscience. 
We're not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's one phrase in the first part that, that we perhaps overlooked. Um, that, that just sticks out to me in verse 4. Uh, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Uh, he, um, Paul has a similar expression in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, how death is swallowed up in victory. And that it's, that it's going to be no more in Christ. Alan, did you have a question? No, I was just going to come up in verse 9. Verse 9. Um, when I was taking biblical counseling uh, in Lafayette, one of the things they had me memorize was this verse 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And really they said, that's really got to be your goal. Am I pleasing Him? Okay, what I'm doing right now, is it pleasing Him? What am I doing now? pleasing him and that stuck with me and it really helped me to memorize that very good um, in our stewardship class that was also one of the memory verses if we think of ourselves as stewards and ambassadors we are not here for ourselves we are here for the one that we represent and so so um, Thinking not what is my agenda, but what is the agenda of the one who has, who has appointed us, who, ha, who has called us to this ministry. Very good. Um, what else stands out to you? Either something from our last class or we'll pretty well be picking up in verse 9 and following there. We finished class looking a little bit in verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, but I also trust are well known in your conscience. That last part, Paul's... Uh, Perhaps revealing a little bit of himself in that even though the, uh, the false teachers in Corinth may have uh, given a skewed view of who Paul truly is, the important thing, to Paul at least, is that he's well known to God. God knows his ministry. God knows uh, who he is, what his heart is. Um, but, but what stands out to you in verses 10 and 11? What, what, where is his mindset? What do you think is his motivation in his ministry? He, he has different parts throughout the entire chapter as to sort of what motivates him. What stands out to you here in, in 10 and 11? Well, I think it's the fact that he's 
Yes. He's waiting for eternity um, to get what is what he's worked towards. Um, verse 9 says, whether we're home or away, we think that our name please him. For, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so whatever we're working towards in this life is what we'll get at the end of our life. Right. Right, absolutely. The, the worldly mindset in the time of Paul, um, sort, sort of what the Greek mindset was, was they sort of denigrated the body and thought that whatever they did in the body didn't really have any significance. But Paul sees that, that his life and the things that he does here as a steward has internal significance. Very good. Um, it's not just that Paul is going to come before the judgment seat. It's not just that I'm going to be in front of the judgment seat. He has a, he has a mind to look at everyone around him, to the Corinthians, to, to uh, every church, every person that he saw. He saw... Um, the eternal destiny of everyone and says that everyone we all must appear before the judgment seat okay yes yeah, mike continuing on that same verse um yes we must all appear before the judgment seat um but I think what's really important is what follows after that as well, is that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. You know, this idea of no one can ride someone else's coattails into heaven, right? And so Paul, yes, he's an apostle, but he's telling them, I think he's implying to them that you can't ride my coattails into heaven. I can't ride yours. We're all responsible for ourselves, and we have to do what's right individually. Um, so that uh, we're responsible for where we end up according to uh, God and, and, and His righteousness. That, that's, a, that's a very good point, that, that we, there will be a level of responsibility for ourselves. Now, that being said, um, Paul's not necessarily saying um, that the works that I, that I do... Um, is going to earn me heaven. He's, he's not necessarily saying that he's earning all of this, um, but he, he says, I will be held accountable for, for what I do uh, here in, in the flesh, whether good or bad. Sort of gives the vibe of Ecclesiastes 12, some of the last verses there. We need to fear God, keep his commandments. Everything that we do will be brought to light. Yes. Yeah, that's me here too, to look back. We just were in the first nine before we read 10 11, we need to read verse 9 again uh, because it launches the thought. Uh, therefore, we, all, uh, we also uh, have as our mission, whether uh, home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For He carries the thought and it continues. Uh, so, uh, that said, and we've read those, the idea Paul is, is resting his hope in, in being pleasing to God. So, uh, appearing before the judgment seat of Christ uh, is something we should embrace with confidence because we have lived lives that are pleasing to Him. You go before the judge, and the judge is happy with you when you walk up. You're not going to fear judgment from Him. You're, you're, you're going to expect uh, a response from Him that is favorable. But at the same time, it lodges in our hearts. For what about those who are not pleasing to Him? And then Paul goes on with verse 10 and says, For, uh, uh, I'm sorry, knowing the fear of the Lord, verse 11, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm running ahead a little bit. So, I can, go, I can go be in the presence of the Lord and be judged by Him with great confidence and great hope and expectation. But at the same time, I, I walk up there and I, I ask myself, or my consideration before I get there, let's rephrase that, uh, it's what about everybody that I haven't shared my life with and, and taught them about how to be pleasing to God. I think Paul's talking about both of those same things in these scriptures here for us. So just 
just an observation. Uh, that's why Paul works so hard in the vineyard because he wants everyone to be pleasing to God. And absolutely, good points there. Anything else? Interesting that in verse 11, it doesn't say, oh, yes, Craig, I'll go ahead and let you say it, and then I'll add to it. Uh, I, I When he encountered both Jews and Greeks, he reasoned with them, it says. He would go into the synagogues and he would reason with them that Jesus was the Christ. He would go back to the old scriptures, the old, you know, the old Testament, the prophets. But he used logic and he used reason because um, sometimes the world might say, you believe in God and you Christians are just kind of using your faith as a crutch. You use faith when you can't explain it. And yet, faith in Jesus is actually a very reasonable conclusion to come to, based on what God has shown us and what, what we read about and what we know about. We can persuade with great confidence, um, because God, God has demonstrated the wisdom of this, if, if we would have eyes to see it. So I appreciate Paul's approach and, and his motivation for it, um, why it is uh, a logical, reasonable thing to believe that, that Christ goes from that's a good point. Um, to, to that point, it says, knowing the fear or the terror of the Lord. Um, some people may, may try to define what, what he's referring to in this. Um, it's, more than it's more than just um, respect or reverence. In, in the Greek, there are words for respect and reverence. He's using the word for terror here. And so keep, uh, keeping that mind, that, that, that response, that logical response that Craig points out, leads to a proper attitude, proper behavior, proper uh, treatment toward, towards others. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting that it doesn't say, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I'm going to behave myself. And I'm going to uh, just make sure I don't step out of line. What he says is, knowing this terror, and he talks about things that he knows throughout this chapter, verse 1 and verse 6. Um, knowing that terror, what does he do? He persuades. Um, and uh, having that concern for others. If you, have some, if you have a concern for somebody's physical health, we often feel compelled to, to say something to bring that to their attention. How much more the, their eternal state, the, uh, the spiritual nature of that? That's all. We can't help remember that uh, there are several people, some people, Using Paul falsely and, and talking about you know, why he's maybe why he's doing this, and I think this section really addresses his motive in what he does, and he lays it out there. It's the fear of the Lord that I'm doing this. I'm not doing this to, to boast of myself. He had plenty of reasons. He goes on to talk about that somewhat, you know, later in this chapter and elsewhere. But he's uh, he's. An open book. You know why I'm doing this? Because I fear God. And I, I, he cares. And, and he's just open as much as possible. And, and bringing it all out there, he says, you know me in your conscience. You know this to be true. And, and so, I, I think in some of the aspects he's defending himself here by showing Reminding them of why he's doing all of this. Absolutely. He, he, he expresses in verses 12 and following that he wants to give them an opportunity to boast or have confidence in him and his ministry. Uh, not, 
out of selfishness, not trying to be uppity about it. Um, because really, if they are questioning him, they're questioning Christ who appointed him, uh, are they not? That um, he is sincerely concerned about their faith and the surety of their faith. So that's why he says in, in verse 12, We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give an opportunity to boast on your behalf that you may have an opportunity for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Um, And he even says in verse 13, If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is to you. Um, He's not not concerned about how he comes across. To some extent, the way that uh, people may view him, um, it may come across as him being irrational or him being an emotional wreck as he's pouring his heart out. But that's, that's what Christ does for us whenever we, we are living according to the Spirit. It's not going to make sense or it's not going to uh, look like how the world uh, would look at things. Uh, other thoughts and comments? Just yesterday, I was watching an interview with Alice Cooper, and you'd have to be in my age group to know who that is. But he was talking about coming to Christ. And they were interviewed, and he said, I knew that if I died, he was raised in the church. He said, I knew that if I died, he said, I would go to hell. And he said, I knew that, so I came to Christ out of fear. I accepted Christ out of fear. And he said, then I went to a worship service where he talked about love, and I realized it blended in the fear and the love was of equal proportion. He said, so I accepted Christ. And he said, what do you mean by accepted Christ? He said, well, the world always teaches you that, it, and people love it when Christ accepts them. But I mean, I accepted him. He said, he accepted me, but I accepted him and his teachings and his way of life and the things that he wanted me to do and the ways that he wanted me to glorify him. So I just, that just left an impact for me because we do often want Christ to accept us as who we are and what we are. But we, it's not as equal fun if we accept Him for who He is and glorify Him in our bodies and that He gets, we walk with Him in us. Glorified, and we are the tent, just like in the Old Testament. They, the tent followed them through the wilderness, but it was full of all the spiritual things that they wanted. Well, our tent follows us, and it has to be full of all of the spiritual things that Christ wants for us. That's, that's a good point. Uh, speaking to um, the terror of the Lord and and the love of Christ, we're going to sort of see a little bit of that, but. Looking at both of those, whether we focus on um, one or the other or both combined, Christ does not call us to stay as we are. He, he, um, he longs to change us and transform us. And so... Um, so when we look at the fear of the Lord, whenever we look at that love, it is, um, he is calling us out of that. Not that we walk in our way, uh, for ourselves any longer. And we'll see a little bit more of that in, ver- in verses 14 and 15. Absolutely. Yeah, Sal. And, well, I was going 14. Great. Controls is 
this very intense action. It's we're obsessed, or, or another word in Acts 18, 5 is occupied. It, it is something that occupies my attention, occupies my focus, it controls me. I'm obsessed with this. Uh, and because of that, uh, I'm going to make it known to others. It's, it's, not, it's not a back burner kind of thing. This is something that controls my life. That's that's a good point. Um, I hadn't used that. I hadn't had that word in my notes. Occupies, compels. Other definitions are it, it constrains or restrains uh, Paul. Um, Paul is limited in what he can do because of love of Christ. Now it may be a little bit vague in in the writing as to whether it's. <coughs> Christ's love for him or his love for Christ. But, but regardless of that point, um, just as we had already just, uh, just discussed, he's limited in what he can do. He can't just live his life the way that he wants. Um, and and there's, some, there's some heavy stuff here in verses 14 and 15. It compels us because here's the conclusion that he has he's come to we judge this that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again again seeing that emphasis and the importance of the resurrection in in all of this um, what do, you, what do you make of the points that he's saying here in 14? Yes. Well, Romans 5.15 says, But the free gift is not like trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God is the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, the bounty for many. So through through that of many died. Many died. Because in Christ many can die in a different way. He died himself. He died for us. That's a good that's a good point. Thank you. Um, Christ died. He died the death that we all deserve. The, the, de the death has a consequence of sin. Um, his death is, is our death. Who else needs to die for sins? No one. And, and, and no one's death can be for sins. Christ died the death that we all deserve and so no one else needs to suffer uh, suffer that uh, that death it, it, it's an inclusive language it's not just um, Christ died therefore a chosen few people um, died no it's for everyone um, his death is special his it was the perfect death. Yeah, it's Mike. So I feel that, or, or, or I see that, um, this idea of Christ dying for all, this is that if one died for all, the one that was there, obviously referring to Christ, he's the perfect one. There was no reason that he needed to die because he had no sin, right? But he died for all, then all died. So in other words, he died for all. He didn't have to, but all of us have died. We were dead in sin, but Christ took care of that for us, right? So there was no sacrifice we could make for our sin. Christ did it for us. We were dead, but because he died, the perfect one died for all, then now we are no longer dead. We were, but we are no longer because Christ died for us, was raised, conquered death, and now we have that hope. That it continues on into verse four, into verse um, fifteen, as it talks about, uh, and beginning verse fourteen, that we're, we have hope in the love of Christ because of that. 
That's a good point. I don't think everyone in the world accepts verse 15 or applies 15 to themselves. Um, and in that respect, they aren't living, um, or at least they do live for themselves. Um, he, he is reconciling us to him. Now, now he's not, he doesn't reconcile us necessarily against our will. Um, what, does, what does that idea of reconciliation mean? What, what comes to mind? Or how would you describe what, what this reconciliation is or what it looks like? What, what, what thoughts come to mind? It separates us from God as his wrath and our sins, so we have been reconciled to him because Jesus removed that wrath. He paid for that wrath. He satisfied God's wrath. Abs- absolutely satisfying that wrath. So I can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Absolutely, it comes through Christ, emphasizing what how that's made possible. Um, what one other thing that sort of at least stands out to me whenever we think of what the word reconciliation means is, it wasn't always a relationship of wrath. What we had perfect unity with God. And, and we are the ones who initiated that hostility. That, we, that, that we're the ones who instigated the animosity. Um, we, we're the ones who rebelled. But, ne- so we go from united to having this, this doom. Um, and then finally having it back to, to restored, renewed relationship. And how do we have that? Came on to mind to to reconcile to Christ. Christ died, and yes, we were dead in our sins already. But once He died for us, in order for us to live and live in Him, we must be buried with Him and allow take all of our sin and leave them. So we have to die as well to Satan and his world to sin in order to be raised with Christ to be reconciled to him. That's the only way we can be reconciled is through his life. But it's a death for us as well, even in our living, our physical living, because we have to die to Satan and his world and raise again to put on Christ, clothe ourselves completely in Christ, and walk in Him. So that's how we get reconciled back to Him, by saying, I'm leaving all my world and Satan behind, and I'm going to walk with Him. Absolutely, that, that, that life and that death, it is for, for Christ, that we not live no longer for ourselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. We also see in verse 16, uh, again, he's describing how it changes his worldview. That, that not only does he view himself as living for Christ and not for himself, he views other people. Now, from, uh, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we... we as sinners view Christ really as just a man, as, as somebody that, that we really don't want anything to do with. But whenever we recognize um, with, with spiritual eyes what he is, his perfect sacrifice for, for us, we regard him thus no longer. And so, so some questions for, for, for us. Do we... Does Micah Souter regard the people around him according to the flesh? 
Do we, do we look at the, the world around us with, with this mindset of we're all going to be before the judgment seat? Do it, um, that uh, we, are, we are all going to have to give an account for the things done in the flesh, whether good or bad. Um, that, that, or do I view myself as being a steward, as a minister, as, as an ambassador for Christ, and do I act on that? What else stands out to you? We should regard ourselves for, according to the flesh, so that we can teach others that they shouldn't regard us according to the flesh. They should regard us according to the Spirit. Because that's what we need to be reflecting, the Spirit of God, and that's what they need to be seeing in us. Because if we don't look at the world from the fleshly point of view, you cannot teach or offer them the Spirit. But they should be looking at us as, as Christ-like. They may not even recognize it, what it is, they need to be some, seeing something totally different in us in order to bring them. Okay, yeah, I, I, th- I think he, he mentions in verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. Um, so so um, he regards them according to the spirit as those who do walk according to the flesh. I think that's the, that's the point that, 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 you're, that you're making there. Um, it's not just living in this life for for momentary selfish purposes um, and, and we're going to see how that that affects his relationship with the Corinthians how and, and with with others even in chapter 6 as we're going to see uh, in our future classes uh, and and so in verse 17, um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, new creation, this is the God of creation. He is the one who, who makes something out of nothing. He's the one who brings order out of chaos. And he doesn't just do that in Genesis chapter 1. He does that with you and me. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of chapter 4 um, in, in verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That, that you see creation language throughout the Bible. That's what God does. And he does it through Christ. We, in our foolishness and in our stubbornness, will undo what God has made and made good. He called it good. And we ruin that. Um, it, it reminds me of, of Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. And, and when things seem hopeless and there's, there's death, he's able to make life out of death. And, and, and that has to impact our worldview. That has to impact our, our uh, view of ourselves, our view of, of one another as well. Yes. Uh, I'm just struck with that. Uh, regarding no one according to the flesh, he's talking about Christ is the one that's going to offer this new creation. Um, if, if you've had the experience, uh, I assume many of us probably have, you're interacting with someone that you, you have the suspicion that you know, maybe they're nearing the end of their life through disease or age or whatever. You're, you're considering this may be the last interaction I have with this person. Your conversation with them is going to be different with that knowledge. This may be the last time I have 
a chance to say, um, you, you have different types of conversations with those people. Um, I hope, I hope you do. Uh, regarding people not according to the flesh should prompt us, then I think, to have those types of conversations with people. I, I'm, I'm looking at you not as a physical person, but your spiritual state. You're heading towards death, and I don't want that for you. Um, Christ has given us life. Uh, I'm able to tell you about this thing. I'm, I'm being an ambassador for the one who can give you life, and, and maybe it prompts us to have different types of conversations. You can definitely hear that in Paul's, as he's nearing the end of this chapter. We implore you, he says in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's looking at these people in the, in the state that, that they're in, uh, knowing that, that God is the one who's going to offer them life. Um, it just, it, it struck me a little bit differently reading it today. Amen. And shame on me whenever I, I go into interactions and say, you know what? It'll, it'll come up eventually. I, I, I'll find some opportunity to share the gospel to it. Life's a vapor. We don't know that nothing is guaranteed for us. Other thoughts on that. And, and so you, you see Paul's urgency in, in what, he, what he's saying. Um, he, he, he's not holding anything back. He's opening himself. He's pouring it all out as, as though this is his chance to, to speak with them. And, and, and so, um, verse 17, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We don't have to hold on to that old anymore. We have that new. And may we share that with, with others. All things are of God who has reconciled. You see this word, of, this word reconciliation just, it's like five different times in just like four verses. Just how, how important that is. Um, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. couple of points that um, we talked back in chapter 3 about this ministry. We described it as a ministry of righteousness, ministry of the Spirit. And here again, it's the ministry of reconciliation. And we've already seen throughout this book that God works for us through Christ so that he can then use us in the same thing. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. He has, given, he has uh, made us righteous. He's given us the Spirit so that we can, we can share out that ministry of reconciliation. And he has, he has reconciled us so that we can be uh, servants in this ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. I keep thinking of myself as a kid and my family had mostly a good relationship, but you know, occasionally your parents would fight. Or when my sister was older than me, she was a teenager, she would fight with my mom. And I remember it would kind of give me this feeling of fear. And what I wanted most, I wanted to like, get away from that, you know, that tension of not, when just not being at peace with each other. And so I look at this, and I think of us in the body of Christ, and we should be seeing people as God sees them. And anytime we see a lack of peace and reconciliation with God, we should want that just as desperately as my kid self wanted you know, my parents to be reconciled to each other, or my sister to be reconciled to my mom. Like, I couldn't have probably even explained exactly how I felt, but it just was not okay. And so if I have the eyes of Christ for the world around me, I should just not feel okay that's very good we see so many pieces of this puzzle that 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 shape who paul is and what motivates him um we've it's this this desire 
for reconciliation, that he begs and pleads. He doesn't just make a suggestion. He doesn't just plant one seed and just say, yeah, maybe it'll terminate later on. He, he's begging that. He's, he's being moved by, by the love of Christ that, that, that forces him to act in this way. It, um, and, and being mindful of this terror of the Lord and saying, we, we, we want this reconciliation. These things aren't just one puzzle piece in isolation, but just putting them all together, seeking and making it Paul's aim, my aim, to please and have this unity restored. Uh, very good. Um, continue, uh, just continuing on in verse 19, that is God in Christ, uh, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing uh, their trespasses to him, to, to them, and has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Um, and so he realizes that, that God has given that to him, and he has to act on it as an ambassador. Of Christ, yeah. Tim. I was just <clears throat> noticing uh, in the reconciliation that you know it says uh, God, who has reconciled to Himself through Jesus Christ, and given us the ministry of reconciliation, and reconciling the world to Himself, not trespasses to them, and has committed. To us, the word of reconciliation has done all this. And then he says, um, be reconciled to God. Like he's already done the reconciliation. All we have to do is not live for ourselves and live, live for God. I mean, that's our, our job. And he's, he's done the rest. You just stole my next point. <laughs> God, in comparison to us, is the active agent. Look at all the things that God has done. He has reconciled us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has entrusted the word to us. He has made Jesus to be sin for us. All of this reconciliation he has done through his son, Jesus. But that's not to say that, that we have no response. We do have a response. Not, that, not that, that there are times where I may be tempted to have the mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to reconcile myself if, I, if I'm um, doing enough. I do something. I, I have, I'm called to, to be reconciled to God. If, if, if there's any hostility between me and God, because I haven't, I haven't put on Christ, I haven't entrusted Jesus and Jesus his sacrifice. And so thinking, thinking along those lines, I'm called to be reconciled to God. He has done all the heavy lifting. And I'm called to, to entrust myself to that and to come back, to come back to him. Yeah, Alan. There's been some confusion and different teachings one way or another on this, and I would just like to know what do you think it means for our sake he made him to be sin? In verse... Uh, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Interesting that there, there's that, tra that, that transition. It, it says he becomes sin for us. We might become the righteousness of God. Um, I've, I've got some material on, on that. Um, perhaps a good way of thinking of that is viewing it as the, uh, him being that sin sacrifice for us. He, he taking on our sins for us. And we, we may get into that a little bit more in our next class. 
Um, but that, that's, that's a good question for us to, to reflect on. We'll, and I think that will lead us into chapter 6. Uh, Tony and then we'll be, we'll conclude. Yeah, just consider what we've been with this chapter. They were, that you had individuals that were concerned about fleshly things, outward appearance. And then Paul, through a dissertation in this chapter and later, is saying, but these are the things I want to think about. They've been worried about fleshly, <coughs> trivial things like, I'm not a great speaker, I don't look awesome, you know, I'm not well put together, you know, I'm not, I don't have a fancy suit. I don't have the super credentials. But here's the thing I actually think about. And these are the things that actually matter. And this is the weighty, the weighty matters in the law kind of thing. And so what do we wrap ourselves up in? And do we think this deeply about our relationship with God and also others' relationship with God? Or do we tend to Because once you kind of you realize that about yourself, the, the fickleness of our of our attitude or approval of someone, oftentimes it's just based on those the inconsequential things. And but we make them so big and so huge that it outweighs all of this that he has just talked about in this chapter. But this is like the, the biggest and most important part. That, that's why this is concluding matter. We want reconciliation, but then we whittle on the stick of, yeah, but you gotta look a certain way. You gotta talk a certain way. You gotta have a pedigree from from Florida College or something like that. So very very good. Thank you. Thank you for that. So uh, we'll we'll pick back up with Alan's question in our in our next class and I'll get questions out for chapter six. Thank you so much for your participation.